this isn't a, a popular way to talk because we, we want a more manageable God. We want a God that we can question and, and, and tell him things and explain things to him. But the truth is, is this is the way God speaks about himself. And, and sometimes in, in our churches, we're almost embarrassed that our God is as powerful as he is and that he speaks so boldly about himself and tells us to fear him. But here's the, here's the crazy part about it, is the next verse, right after he says these things, in verse 8, he says, fear not. He doesn't say fear me there. He actually switches and says fear not. And it's, it's almost confusing at first. You go, wait a second. You're telling me who you are, and then, then once I get to this point of fear, you kind of go, but fear not, nor be afraid. Now, now, why would he say that? You see, it's actually a very common theme in Scripture. For, for example, when Isaiah saw God and he's terrified, he goes, ah, you're going to kill me. Then God says, oh, no, 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 Isaiah, it's, it's, it's okay. Um, I'm actually going to send one of my angels. And, and, and an angel takes this coal and he says, you know, Isaiah was saying, gosh, I'm such a sinner. I've said such bad things. And God says, no, watch, this coal is going to touch your lips. And I'm going to forgive you of everything. It's um, when John falls over like a dead man and just is terrified. Jesus goes, no, 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 don't be afraid. It's me, Jesus. It's the same thing that he's doing here. And he's saying to them, he goes, look, I am this, this, this is amazing God that you ought to fear. But once you get to that point, he goes, you don't have to fear me. Today, we are in the second part of fearing God. If you um, have been participating in small group studies, I hope they went well. I got good reports from the ones that did uh, share how things were going. If you didn't get a chance to participate and you want to participate in the small group study, then there's still sign-up sheets out there in the foyer and uh, still places, I think, at each of the different uh, places that are meeting to study. Uh, if you can't find anywhere to go, you can, or welcome to come to our house tonight at 7. So we would be more than happy to have you um, this evening. Bring food if you come to our house. Um, that would be good. We, um, this is the second part. Last week we talked about how fearing God really, Francis Chan had pointed out in, in the video we watched last week and again tonight or today, uh, there's a, there's a tendency to say, when we say fear God, we don't really mean fear God. We mean not that you're like supposed to be afraid of him, but, but more respectful of him, more of a reverence for him. But when you look at the encounters that people have in Scripture, there is no denying that they are afraid. That there is, when we talk about fearing him, that there is, there's a, a real terror. I know in our group discussion, there were some that struggled with that. They were like, I don't think that we should be afraid of God. I don't think it, and, and they would, and again, trying to say, I don't think this is what the Bible's trying to say, but it is not what the Bible's trying to say. It is what the Bible is saying. There is no separating fear and terror and being terrified. The, it, the two go together. The understanding is, is that there are two aspects to that. 
And that is when you see someone who is terrifying, uh, it's not as terrifying when you believe that person is on your side. When you believe that person has your back, when you believe that person is your protector. Now, all of a sudden, once you realize that 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 force, that power, that awesomeness is in your best interest, even though you know if you oppose them, you would be terrified, but you're not opposed to them, and so there's a sense of security in that. And that is, that's the aspect we're going to look at today, is, and we're going to look at what David has to say in one of his psalms. And, and David's a great person to choose for this because David had an incredible perspective on God. I mean, you think about David, and, and one of David's most famous stories of, of his life is when he encountered Goliath. And you think about when you encounter Goliath, how it is a fearful, awful human being who the Israelites are all terrified of. And so he's this impressive stature of a man, and, and yet David comes along and seems to have no fear of Goliath whatsoever. And the reason why David does not fear Goliath is because Goliath is just a man. David fears God. He knows that God is... So, when, you, when you have a, a good perspective of God and when you have a, a healthy understanding of who God is, well, you don't fear people at all. And so today, David is going to show us how we aren't to fear people, how, how we aren't to fear life and how, how God not only protects us from people and, and things and circumstances, but he also provides us a refuge. It's a word we're going to use a lot today is refuge. for, And, and also God is... God is the judge of everybody. So it's not, it's not something that we have to, we don't have to fix the world. He will, he sees the injustice of the world. He sees the problems. He sees the people that are opposed to us. And as long as we are with him, we are safe. And that is the overarching thing here. If you are in Christ, if you are walking with God, then you don't have anything to be afraid of. It's like when people say, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I'm not sure if I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure what's going to happen to me when I die. When people express fears about their salvation or the assurance of their salvation, 99.9% of the time is because they are not walking with God. They're not walking with God. And basically the question is if we could really be honest when we, when we get afraid of life and circumstances. What we're saying is, is I'm not where I'm supposed to be, and I'm wondering if I can stay here and be okay. Well, God doesn't give us that. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you can do anything you want and it'll be fine. Never says that. And the reason is the same way if you had your children came to you with that same thing, you know, it's like, can I do anything I want to do and everything be okay? You're not going to say, yeah, that's, that's good. Whatever, eat whatever you want, do whatever you want to do, all will be good. Now, you, you have to say there, these are the consequences. Even if you know that you can protect your children in certain consequences or you're going to protect them from certain events that are going to happen, even no matter if they, what, they're going to, what they desire to do, you still tell them, this is right, this is wrong, don't do this, because you want them to understand. You want them to understand that if they break the relationship, if they leave the security of your home, if they leave the, your ability to provide watch care over them, then they're on their own. In Psalm 62, my Bible says, trust in God alone. And this is what David says. I am at rest in God alone. 
My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. How long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering stone fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Men are only a vapor, exalted men an illusion. Weighed in the scales, they go up. Together, they are less than a vapor. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, pay no attention to it. God has spoken once. I have heard this twice. Strength belongs to God and faithful love belongs to you, Lord. For you repay each according to his works. Pray with me. Father, I just pray today, Lord, that we wouldn't just be terrified of you or scared of you. Lord, we would realize that you are, you are an awesome God and you provide us a place of safety, a refuge. You protect us from the world and all the people in it. You provide us a place that we can go to and find peace. And Lord, you bring justice to this world. Lord, you will. Take care of us. And Lord, may we see this in your word today. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It starts with the understanding that God is a refuge from man. God is a refuge from man. I don't know if you've ever been afraid of a person or not. Have you ever had fear in your heart about another individual? But when I was five years old, my parents were watching some show on television. I think I was supposed to be in bed, but I was listening from the other room and kind of sneaking in and hearing it. And it was about Charles Manson. It was about his life. I didn't know who Charles Manson was, didn't understand. But all I knew is this. I was catching. He was a very bad man. He did some very bad things. And the California didn't have the death penalty, and he was still alive. And they said, and he gets out on this date. And I've been doing a simple little amount of math that a five-year-old can do and figure out that he's going to get out pretty soon in my lifetime. I didn't know about that you could be denied parole and those kind of things because they were trying to scare people, I think, by the ways they were saying it. And they did scare this five-year-old boy. And, and I, all of a sudden, was terrified. I couldn't sleep at night because all I could think of, because I had no real concept that California was a pretty good piece from Owensboro, Kentucky, where we lived at the time. And I, all I could think of is that Charles Manson's going to get out of jail. He's going to make a beeline for Owensboro, Kentucky, breaking our house, and I'm his next victim. That's what's going to happen. I would cry myself. I'd tell my mom. And my parents kind of would dismiss it. You know, no, Charles Manson's not going to kill you. Uh, that kind of thing. And, but, I, but it was a real fear. I can remember being terrified, afraid. And here's why I was afraid. Really, the first, it's the first time I can remember thinking, I don't think my parents can protect me from him. I, I think, I, I, you know, I didn't, you know, I sleep at night most nights because my dad's there and my mom's there and our home is safe. And I don't, I would think my dad and mom and dad would tell me, you know, don't worry, we get all this. But, this, but by the things they were describing on this television program, I thought, I don't think mom and dad can protect me from this. It's just me and Charles. <laughs> and I don't think I can take him, you know. And so I, I, was, so I was terrified. And where real terror comes into our lives or when we encounter people or circumstances or things, we have somebody at work or somebody at church or somebody in our lives all of a sudden where we don't think God can protect us from them. 
not uh, bypass our parents. We don't think we can. We don't think we can protect ourselves from them. We don't think God can save us from them, or it appears that He won't save us from them. And and, and we get afraid of people, and it doesn't have to be even a fear of death. It could just be a fear that they could ruin our lives or make our lives miserable. And we begin to avoid those confrontations or have the dread of encountering that boss or that even a coworker. Sometimes it's subordinate. Sometimes it could be a child. Sometimes it could be a three-year-old child. You could just, I mean, I've seen parents who feared three-year-old children, their own three-year-old children, mothers who just were like, I'm, I don't, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. And and their their fear they fear for the child they fear for themselves and 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 it can creep in that and we have this complete disconnect that God will save us that God will take care of us we talked about Goliath this was where the Israelites were when they looked at Goliath all they could think of is this this man's going to kill us and if we don't have a champion who can take Goliath down then we're all going to die this army is going to run right over us. There, there's no hope. There's no way we can win. God wants us to believe that he is our victor, that he is our salvation. Look what he says. He says, David says about God, he says, I am at rest in God alone. Meaning I have peace, I have comfort, I feel secure in one person, and that is God. God alone is the only one, my parent, not my parents, not my, not my friends, not my army, not my government, not my uh, whatever beliefs or, or trinkets or whatever thing, other things I put trust in, not even in weapons or in horses or whatever. I put my trust in God alone. My salvation comes from him. My salvation comes from him. When we believe that God is our salvation, there is no person who can make us afraid. There is no person who can make us afraid. He says, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. Now, have you ever been shaken? You know, where you shake, literally, where, where you feel, where you, fear comes in. You know, tornadoes, hurricanes, those kind of things. There was, a, there was a, a lady on the Weather Channel who was doing the reporting, and she was in an unsafe place. It was clear it was an unsafe place. It was clear that she did not want to be where she was. And, and, you know, and Jim Cantore, who's just, you know, he's the guy. And, uh, and I, he's like, he could see it. He's like, you look like you... He says, you need to stop right now, stop reporting, and get your crew out of there and go either come where we are, go somewhere that's concrete and safe. And you tell she was relieved. She was shaking. She was shaking. And, and the fierceness of that storm would cause a person to be shaken. David says, he's not shaken. He says his stronghold is secure because, and, and, and the people who are in the secure places, who people are in those concrete structures, who believe, who have confidence in that structure, they're not being shaken. But there are forces of this world that can make you fear even in a concrete structure. But David says, when God is your salvation, nothing can shake you. And here's what betrays us. What betrays us is when we get shaken. 
When we, when we, when fear gets inside, when we start to shake or we start to fear, or we start to think this, whatever the forces are out there, the, these people are scaring me. What happens in that moment is we lose sight of that God is our salvation. You know, if you're, if you're out on a dark street and you see a guy who's coming along and, and you're like, I'm not sure. You're thinking, I don't have a gun. I don't have mace. I don't have a taser. I don't have something or whatever. What you're doing is you're cycling through your head the things that can save you in a desperate situation. David says, God alone. God alone. Now, that's not to say you don't have things that protect you. He didn't go up against Goliath with nothing. He took slingshot and some stones, and he was well-versed in using that weapon. But it wasn't his faith in the weapon. It was his faith in God that gave him confidence. And that's where our faith comes from. He says, how long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack? He's talking to his enemies here. He says, as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering stone fence, when the armies would come up against the city, they're looking for a weak wall. They're looking for a weak gate that they could just push in easily, looking for the point of least resistance. And he says, is this what you're looking for? Are you looking for a weakness in me that you can take me down? He says, they only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in line. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. See, all these people think about is destroying me. All the enemy thinks about is taking us down. All the enemy thinks about is destroying us. But still, God is our refuge. He protects us. But not only is he a refuge from man, he's a refuge for man. He's a refuge for man. Do you remember those commercials years ago about uh, the mom who would take, uh, used Calgon. I don't know if people put Calgon in their bath. I don't know if people take baths anymore. But I mean, she would take this bath. She was like, Calgon, take me away. You know, and she had this, but, you know, the kids are crazy and the house is crazy and everything. And she's looking for this place of escape. Where can I go away to get away from all this? Okay, Calgon, take me away. And then she's in the soak in this bath or whatever. And, uh, and then forgets everything around the world. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever looked for a place of refuge in your life or whatever. We had, you know, it is funny that the bathroom becomes that place of refuge. If you've ever had small children, you understand this, how the bathroom becomes the only quiet room in your entire home. And even that one is not without, you know, our bathroom door had a gap like this big underneath it. And you see a little eyeball underneath it. It's like, are you in there? You know, and then you see fingers underneath the door trying to, it's like, it's like an alien movie uh, where you're just, you know, you're like, you're hiding over there in the, in the corner. Oh no, I'm not in here. I'm not in here. Um, you know, and because um, there's no rest for the wicked. Um, the, uh, the idea of finding a place of escape is something we all connect with. Because when we get stressed and we get burdened, we are looking for somewhere to get away from it all. We are looking for somewhere, where we, and, we, and we have it. It's that we think of, I just need a book and a recliner or the, or the nice blanket. That's my way of escape. Or I think I need to go out fishing or I need to be watching this. When I watch this particular show or, or when I, I just need some, I need some me time or alone time. Or what, what we're really saying is when pressure of life gets great, this is where I go. This is my escape. This is my Refuge. Well, David says that God is our refuge. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. 
My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. What he's saying is, because this is what happens. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with fishing or a book or anything, but sometimes we find our refuge in, in things that are, are harmful to us. We find it in drugs or in alcohol. We find it in uh, pornography. We find it in, in things that help us escape from the reality of this world but are in dark, dark things. Yes, we don't remember what's going on in our painful lives, but we do wind up destroying ourselves in the process and that's what happens, even if it's just as simple as Harlequin romances or whatever, and you just like to read these books to get away from it. I knew a, I knew a guy who used to read vampire romance novels to escape everything. And anyway, that was his thing. Whatever it is, whatever it is, if it's not God, if it's not God, it's not safe. It's not safe. Now, let me qualify this. This is, this is how this works. When, because I, I do go off and sometimes find a place, a quiet place, or watch a show or something, but we have to believe and trust and know that it is God that is providing that escape for us. That He is the one. Because Jesus went off by Himself to pray. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to get to a quiet place, and it wasn't like He said, "I got to have my Garden of Gethsemane." No, He had to have His time alone with the Father, and the Father gave Him the Garden of Gethsemane as a place where He could go and be with Him. And so it's not that you can't have places that are quiet. Not that you have places of refuge that God provides. But you have to understand it's God providing it. And when you know that God is providing it, it doesn't matter where it is. It doesn't matter where you go. God is the one who's giving it. And so if it's taken away by a hurricane or your book is burned up in a fire or whatever, or your recliner is broken or removed or somebody's sitting in it, which is just dreadful, whatever the case, God can still be your refuge. He will find another way to give you the peace that you need. Because he's God, and he is the source of your strength. He is the source of your refuge. He is your strong rock. He is your salvation and glory. He is a trust. Jesus gives us the best example of this when he's on a boat with his disciples. When a storm comes up and a bunch of sailors get terrified because this was a sailor-killing storm. And they are not just thinking they're going to die, they're resolved to die. This is the kind you don't survive from. They've been around long enough to know you don't want to be here in this situation. And where was Jesus? Asleep. He was asleep. Now, if it was us, what are we praying? God, get me out of this storm. Take me somewhere safe. Get me away from all of this and get me somewhere where I, you know, because I'm in this circumstance. And oh, if I just had my book or oh, if I just have my quiet place or oh, if I just were somewhere else that I can, you know, I can call God, take me away. If I could be somewhere else besides here, I'd be okay. And Jesus says, you need to understand something. If you're in God, it doesn't matter what happens in your circumstances. He can bring peace in here. And, he says, and then he gets up and he, he stands in the boat and he looks at the storm. And he says, stop. And the, and the storm stops. He literally just said, just cease and desist. The waves stop. The storm stops. It becomes just calm, glassy-like surface. And the point is, 
if God can stop that storm, he can stop this storm. If he can bring peace out here, he can bring peace in here. And so we are to look to him to be our refuge, not believing in the things we think give us peace. Just like I'm not putting my confidence in the weapon of choice to protect me from people. I'm not putting my confidence in my addiction or in my place of refuge or in the place I go. I'm not putting my confidence in that to be my source of peace and solace. I'm putting my faith in God. He is not only a refuge from man, he is not only a refuge for man, he is the judge of man. The judge of man. Now, when we think about him judging us, when we think about judging, period, we get really uncomfortable. We don't like to judge people. Well, we do like to judge people. We just don't think it's right for us to judge people. Because we say, I don't want to be judgmental, but we only say that when we're getting ready to be judgmental, you know. And here's the thing. We've convinced ourselves that it's a either we are to judge people or we're not to judge people. But this is what Jesus says. He says, we're all going to be judged. And we all make judgments. He just says, when you make judgments, just judge the way you want to be judged. Judge the way you want to be judged. And I don't know about you. But I want to be judged with grace because there's, there's one inescapable fact. We are all going to be judged. The Bible says we are all going to be judged. The question is, is how do we want to be judged? I want to be judged when I stand before God, not on my own merit, but on the merits of Jesus Christ. That has been offered to me. You might not think that's one of the options. But that is the option. That is, that's why we call it good news. God has given us an option that when we stand before the judgment seat, when we are being judged according to our works, that we can invoke Christ and say, you know, I, I want him to represent me. And the father says, okay, I have afforded you that option. That's why I sent him in the first place is to stand in your place. And if you want to stand in your place, then I will judge you according to him. I will judge your works, your righteousness according to his righteousness. That is an awesome deal. And Jesus just says, if, you, if that's how you want to be judged, judge other people the same. Judge other people with grace. Judge them believing that they also need salvation, that they also need grace, that they also do not need to be judged on their own merit, but by the merit of what Jesus can do for them. Now, if they reject Christ, then they will have to stand before God and they have to give an account for themselves. They have to stand before him based on their own merit. Not wise, but that's what people do. And let me tell you why it's not wise. Well, David tells us, he says, men are only a vapor in verse 9. Exalted men... An illusion. Hear that. Men are a vapor. You and I, a vapor. A vapor. I mean, we just, we're here and gone. We are so self-important. But the Bible doesn't say we are self-important. 
We think, you hear people tell you this all the time. You know, I, I see my grandchildren struggle with it. I saw my children struggle with it. I struggle with it. I see my children struggle with it. I see my grandchildren struggle with it. And that is that they're coming to the realization that the world does not revolve around them. It's a painful conclusion. But it doesn't. We don't matter. That's what it says. We don't matter. Exalted. And the, and the more important we think people are, the greater it is that we don't matter. Doesn't matter the title you put on somebody. Doesn't matter how what position they have. It doesn't matter. I mean, if you take the grandmaster of the universe, of, of if it's a man, it doesn't matter because men don't matter. Is what he's saying. We're like vapors. We come and we go. I mean, just think of it in your family. In your family. In your family. Go back four generations. Who are they? Maybe you've done some research and you know and you get it written down somewhere, but I have no idea who they are four generations back. I don't know what they did. I don't know what they were like. I don't know if their lives matter. Anything about what they accomplished or anything about them. Forgotten. I'm going to be that person one day. And so are you. He says exalted people. He says weight on the scales, they go up. Because they, together they are less than a vapor. What it means is like when you take a scale and you put all these important people. They take all the presidents, all the leaders of all the countries. Take all the, pe- the bosses that you have, all the people who are leaders in your organizations or whatever. And you put them on this scale. You put them here and you put air over here. You know, when you put scales, it's the, the heavy side goes down. He said you put air over here. The air is going to go down and all the important people are going to go up because they don't. Amount to anything. We're going to leave it there. Because that's a bad place to leave it. He says, place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, pay no attention to it. So if you get more money or if people are getting more money, it doesn't matter. You know, you know the house that you built, if you built a house... Somebody else is going to live in that house. And then someday they're going to tear it down. It's not going to be yours forever. And if you moved into think of you moved into somebody else's house and you know, it's not their house anymore. It's your house. And somebody's not going to be your house anymore. And property it's not going to be, you don't get to keep that. You're just passing through. They'll just hand it along for generations. It was somebody else's before you and it'll be somebody else's after you. Wealth doesn't accumulate like that. He said, so don't pay any attention to that. God has spoken once. I have heard this twice. Strength belongs to God and faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his works. Now, I already talked about judging people and judgment and that everybody's going to get what they deserve who stand on their own merit. I remember years ago, John F. Kennedy's golf club sold for around $7 million. I think that was the figure. It was an unbelievable amount. I'm going to tell you right now, it wasn't somebody like Alan Case who said, I want to improve my handicap and I bet John F. Kennedy's golf clubs will do it. And I think it's worth $7 million, so I'm going to have the best golf game ever. They weren't bought by a serious golfer who wanted to improve his game. They're not that good at golf clubs. But do you know how much those golf clubs are really worth? $7 million. Do you know why they're worth $7 million? Because that's what somebody paid for them. Do you know what you're worth? You're worth what somebody is willing to pay for you. And God says, I'm willing to pay the life of my son. 
He gives you value. No, you don't matter. You don't have any worth on your own. But he gives you worth. He makes you matter. He gives you a life that counts for something. He doesn't just give us the opportunity to escape hell. He says, I also want to give you the opportunity to mean something. To, to have some of my glory in your life. God is the judge of man. And he will repay people according to the works. And you might ask, why would, why would not everybody do that? Why wouldn't everybody say, I, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want his blood applied to my life. I want my sins forgiven. I want his righteousness applied to me. And I, I, I see it in two-year-old children. It's in adults, but it's easy to see in two-year-olds. Because two-year-olds, it's, it's, it looks as there's the irony there. In that there will be something that's five times their size that they're trying to lift or move. And they'll go over to it and they start to work on it. And you say, hey, let me help you with that. And they'll go, no, 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 no. I got this. And that's what we tell God. We need help with our lives. We need salvation. We need somebody to save us. We're like, no, 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 no. I can fix this. I'm going to get a better job. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make more money. I'm going to rearrange some things. I'm going to work this. I'm going to work harder, exercise more, eat better. I'm going to get some different people in my life. I'm going to rearrange things. I'm going to wear these clothes differently. I'm going to comb my hair this way or get this augmented or this enhanced. And I'm going to do these things and get all this worked out. And when I get all these things exactly like this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat this. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to restore it. It's going to be what I can do. And we get this dream in our head that we can do this. And God is going, no. You're not. At the end of the day, you will lose because death is going to come for you and you can't beat that. All your effort is going to be wasted away. Are you trying to live your own life, solve your own problem, problems, rely on yourself, be a source of strength to everyone around you? Are you trying to fix everybody's life? Is that, what your, is that where your focus is right now? Are you, are you worn out trying to do that? I mean, everybody I meet is like this. Everybody I meet is like, oh, I've, just, I've got this. I was going to do this, and this was going to work out, but now this isn't, doesn't look like it's going to be like it's And if this doesn't come through, then it's all going to be a shamble. Oh, I hope this comes through, and I hope the weather's right for here, and I hope it does this and all this. And we're all like, ah. If these things don't come together, and you know what we're doing? We're trying to save ourselves and those around us. And it's killing us, destroying us, because we weren't designed to do that. And this is what Jesus says. Stop. Stop. Come to me. Come to me. And the only thing that keeps us from doing that is pride. We're delusional. And we're like, no, 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 I got this. I got it. I don't mind when people don't come to the altar if you don't feel like you want to come up and kneel at the altar. But this is, what the, this is where the problem is. You're not ever going to the altar. You're never pouring out your problems before him. Or, you just, or one problem at a time. I got all this, Jesus. I got all this, but I need some help with this one. This is too big for me. And he's saying, no, 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 no. It's all too big for you. Give it all to me. Give it all to me. 
Take my yoke upon you. Walk beside me. Do what I tell you to do. Go where I tell you to go. Be who I want you to be. Live in my power. Obey me in everything. Not just some things, but everything. Trust me in all things, not just some things. If you will do that, your load will be easy. You will have my peace. You will bless others. Your life will mean something. But you have to trust me. That's what the disciples did. That's why we remember their names. I know the Apostle Peter better than I know my great-great-grandfather. Because he put his trust in Jesus. And his life meant something. And God did something with it. And you have that opportunity today too. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for how great and amazing you are. Lord, I pray today that you will be our source of refuge. Lord, that we will put our trust in you, that you will be the one we lean on to protect us from our enemies, that you will be the one that we trust to protect us from all the things we're afraid of, that you will be the place we go when we need to get away from everything, when the world, the stresses of the world are starting to to cave in upon us, Lord, that we'll pour out our hearts before you, believing that you will take care of it and we'll get up with peace in our hearts and joy restored because it's it's God's deal now. It's not my deal, it's God's deal. And so I can just walk in the newness of life that he gives to me. Lord, may we just come to you and pour ourselves out and Lord, may we trust in your ability to save us and not our own. Lord, I do not want to stand before your throne and you look at the acts of my life and that is how you judge me as to whether I'm going to spend eternity with you or not. Lord, I, I need Jesus as my Savior, my hope, my rock, my fortress, my all. Lord, I pray that we will all put our trust and our faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.